Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. England defence and the best job has gone for the high ball, trying to look it up for Hamdana! Goal! And they've scored! Roy <laughs> Houghton! We're a small country and listen, we're up against it, but let's not just go along for the sing song every now and again. I really hope the Irish team has been able to switch its focus from Lille to Leon quicker than we have, Murph, because my mind is still swimming with images of Robbie Brady's goal. This is the Irish Times Second Captain's Euros podcast pre-Ireland France in the last 16, and if Darren Brady, Robbie's crying brother, was the star of the show against Italy, the entire Brady clan has since taken over the news cycle You're they've pretty, owned it have they they, they really have owned it they're not moved on. Yeah. Uh, his mother Maria was on drive time yeah uh, she was on drive time yesterday and one of those situations where see it was weird on Wednesday night uh, Tony O'Donoghue had an amazing chance to go for the jugular Oprah Winfrey style with uh, Robbie Brady I thought in the post-match interview I mean just ask one question about and do you want to tell us about how important it, you know what you were going what your feelings were when you Saw your missus and your um, your brother there uh, in the stands. That Robbie Brady was ready to go. He was ready to start bawling his eyes out live on national television. And uh, if all it needed was one tiny question, Tony O'Donoghue maybe did him a favour. But uh, uh, the drive time interview yesterday with uh, Maria Brady, uh, Robbie's mum, uh, she was crying basically before the first question was asked. <laughs> <laughs> so there was no need for any prodding to be done by Mary Wilson whatsoever. But absolutely amazing interview. Just talking about how... Uh, well, it's just Irish babbies getting emotional about their uh, son. And doing. at one stage, one of the questions was, and that, that's your boy. That's my boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These aren't even questions or answers, really. They're just, it's, yeah. it's, it's amazing. So you're fierce proud of she's, She said that, she goes, oh yeah, there was something on the, what you call it, there was something on the internet there uh, about uh, about this being declared a national day. It's, it's going to be called National Robbie Day, apparently. And then 30 seconds later, she you could hear laughing in the background and she said, oh, sorry about that. Yeah, no, my kids just told me they were playing a joke on me there. It's not going to be called <laughs> National Robbie Day. There's no, there's no story about that. Uh, she was also talking about Darren, the other yep. brother. I didn't realise that he played for West Ham. He went over to West Ham when he was 16. 
and came back as he was homesick. Yeah. So just had another another layer of that. It's a big football family. Another brother plays over in Stevenage or somewhere like yeah. that. So and uh, then it became this kind of. Uh, I, I don't think Mary Wilson has like a, a, a massive interest in football, but the interview was actually all the better for for it. She was like coming to this idea. I think that it's actually really hard to be a professional footballer and to send your kids away at fifteen or sixteen. She was kind of coming at it nearly almost afresh. Uh, and that made the interview so much more kind of heartfelt. I was amazing. It was absolutely brilliant. As I said on Twitter last night, like the amount of times now, you know, there is, I, I think we can speak for the entire country saying that we all had a little bit of a hangover yesterday. Therefore, emotions were a little closer to the surface than they might otherwise have been. But uh, I actually managed to hold it together quite well yesterday. But there I was walking the dog at like half 10 at night listening to Maria Brady. I was like, this is... <laughs> your, your dog looking at you going what is wrong with this guy yeah. there was a video of the family doing a conga line down the street outside their house I the, should bloody well hope there was the day I after the match was. I'm pretty sure the video was taken yeah. so they're still Nothing going strong there his brother Kean was also at the game there there are a lot a lot of Brady boys it's a mm. big it's a big old five family five of them seven in, in total five five boys and Kean was starting uh, you, you've probably seen the gif at this stage Kean is a younger brother he was starting to bless himself he had somebody on his shoulder so I think might have been Robbie's girlfriend Kerry uh, I'm not 100% sure about that but he definitely had somebody on his shoulders mm. and, and he looked like, looked like quite a young man it wasn't quite as he looked, looked like quite a young man to be carrying a human being on his shoulders anyway he was doing it but it did seem to interrupt his his uh, blessing of himself so he starts to bless himself and somebody the, a lot of the gifts were Robbie Brady's brother forgets how to bless himself I don't think he did I think he just had to give up after a while because his arms were too tired so it's kind of the name of the father the son and then it's like ah yeah forehead navel <laughs> that's you know the rest I yeah. think you know if, if anyone is listening they'll understand uh, you know they'll understand what the <laughs> what, what he's trying to get at there and there was my favourite then RTE's main evening news they sent a camera crew around to chat to Robbie's little sister Amber in her school here is Amber Brady and this is just too adorable what are you going to say to him when, when you see him again I'm so proud of you I, I love you and just keep it up and try just keep going do you think um, Ireland can win on Sunday against France um, I'm not sure. I, I hope so, but I don't know. That's the spirit, Amber. <laughs> don't give him anything. Don't give those French anything. Oh, Do not commit to predicting. She also talked about, as Maria did, the, a lot, there was a lot of banging of pots and pans yeah. going on in the Brady's house. <laughs> Brady household as well. So uh, well done to That's a Amber New Year's Eve thing. What? On my street. What? In Dublin. That, uh, yeah, that at midnight on New Year's Eve, everyone comes out of the house. And starts banging pots and pans. Have you ever heard of this? I have a v- maybe there's something vague. On. I might You're have gr- a New Year's I, Eve party I, with me. I, I, I might have, I might, house, have no? I might have grown up too far away from the inner city, Murph. To yeah, well, they didn't, I'm, they keeping didn't, a re- I'm keeping it real. Don't bang, worry, I'm keeping it real for all of us here. They didn't bang any pots and pans out in Salorgan, unfortunately. <laughs> if you're lucky enough to be heading over for the game They got the help to do it uh, The, the help, exactly, yeah. yes indeed. If you're lucky enough to be heading over <laughs> for the match Or look, wherever you're watching it Obviously there aren't that many tickets available For Irish people for the game If you're at home, if you're in the booze Or if you're going over to a fan zone Whatever it might be Make sure to stick on your super sexy second captain's t-shirts Which I presume you've bought by now Because if you haven't I mean, you've done, you've, 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 you've done yourselves a grave disservice Stick on your t-shirts Or any se- second captain's merchandise you happen to own And tweet us at second captains please With a few snaps Let's go to Paris Congratulations Take the applause of that crowd 
Kenny, impressed by Amber Brady's refusal to be drawn into tipping Ireland to beat France? Yeah, um, I thought she was. She played it well. She was like um, a veteran Kerry footballer. <laughs> we'd, be her, doing, uh, we'd be doing well to keep the ball kicked out of them, Ked. Hmm? We'd be doing well to keep the ball kicked out of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, so hopefully that's that's uh, that's where she's really coming from. That was very nice. Uh, everyone, uh, everyone obviously delighted. I remember Robbie Brady saying after the Hulahan goal, "No one can take that goal away from him." And yeah, I mean Brady's up there now. I mean Ireland don't score too many tournament goals. I mean we know that's probably still. Go- hopefully that won't be the case after this Euros. Hopefully there'll be uh, dozens on the list. Uh, but the odds are <laughs> that's. Uh, going to remain for a long, long time one of the most famous goals uh, ever scored. Going to bed last night, I was looking forward to coming in and doing today's show, previewing Ireland against France. And I thought, well, I'll just take a quick check on this Brexit vote because I mean, all, all signs are that it's it, it's all going to be fine. Uh, I mean, those those remain guys seem to be in the ascendancy here. And it certainly looked to be the case when I put my head in the pillow. But all had changed utterly by this morning, Ken. What's your reaction? Had the same experience, Owen. Uh, looked at, was looking at some uh, stuff, you know, online. Thought, yeah, looks like that uh, silly referendum has been defeated. I knew, uh, I knew they'd never be that silly. <laughs> <laughs> Woke up this morning, and I just see loaded text messages on my phone. And like the first one, I think, was Cameron has Cameron's gone, and I was like, what? I looked, and you know, it was, this kind of became apparent that in fact. Once again, uh, the it had all gone rather differently from expectation. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I saw one of the last things I saw last night was that the was that it was um, eight to one on with like prediction markets and and you know bookmakers eight to one on that they would vote to remain, which is you know huge. I mean, for instance, France are you know six to one on to beat Ireland, so mm-hmm. it was considered at that stage much. Uh, you know, much more probable that Britain would vote to remain than that host nation France would crush uh, little Ireland in Lyon. Uh, I thought a reasonably safe bet. Um, and it didn't work out that way. So I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. I have to say I didn't, I really didn't see this coming. I mean, I suppose it just goes to show how complacent, uh, disconnected and uh, basically stupid uh, I am. Uh, I mean, because there were a few polls sort of saying, oh, you know, it's neck and neck, and oh, the Leave has edged ahead. And there was there was a couple of polls in which the Leave side had quite a big lead. You know, I think there was a seven-point lead at one stage, but then it all seemed to kind of, um, that, you know, it seemed to go back to neck and neck, and in fact, Remain was ahead. And You just assume towards, toward, when people actually go to the polls, when they go to vote, that the enormity of what they're doing here, of what they're voting for, hits them. I'm not saying everybody. There's always, there was always going to be a sizable vote to leave, but I just thought, I just assumed there'd be enough people to, enough people to get freaked out by the possible consequences of what they're about to do here to, to prevent this thing from happening. Exactly. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's sort of conservative bias. I mean, I don't mean conservative as in, you know, the English, the British Tory party. I mean, conservative as in, you know, sort of status quo bias in in referenda, I mean, you saw it maybe in the Scot- Scottish referendum where, yeah, yeah. you know, according to the polls in the last few days, and definitely the sort of sense of the atmosphere around the campaign was that the, you know, the independence side had kind of gained uh, a little bit of ascendancy. 
And yet the result was quite a thorough, I think, you know, was it 55-45 in the end? I mean, it was it was a much bigger vote to stay in the UK than, would have, than you might have expected looking at the polls, you know, just leading up to it. Um, and, the uh, you know, so I kind of expected something like that would happen here, and obviously it hasn't. I just... I just find it so bizarre. I just don't understand what they think is going to happen now. I mean, what's the plan now? You've already seen that, you know, Nigel Farage on, on TV today explaining that, like, in fact, a bunch of the campaign promises were lies and mistakes, I think was the word he used. You know, you see Donald Trump saying, this is a great thing that they voted to take their country back. Take their country back from who? Where? What, now that they've got it back, where are they going to go now? And by the way, what are the Scots going to do? Everybody in Scotland, well, Scotland was 62-38 in favour of staying in the EU. They have to have another referendum now. Do they want to, I mean, it's, it's about which union they want to be part of. Do they want to be part of the union with um, England, uh, on which they differ on so many key things? Do so they want to maintain the union with the, uh, all the other countries in Europe? Uh, which they clearly want to maintain, judging by the result, by a bigger margin, 62-38, than they did, uh, you know, the 55-45 stay in the UK. So it seems to me as though the UK itself is in serious trouble now. Um, take our country back seems to be smash our country up. But, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, there's also the fact that, yeah, I mean, on a, a day like this, it's it's a really momentous event. There's, all, you know, it's, people, there's a, there's a measure of hysteria, I suppose, that, that creates something like this. And, and really, you know, tomorrow is, is another day and Sunday is the same. And, you know, it's like the excitement will sort of fade away. You know, all this, this, this initial stuff about sterling, you know, plummeting and the FTSE index losing a lot of value and all, all these sorts of things. Um, you know, that kind of tends to just return to boring normality after a while and because the kind of excitement fades away and people start thinking about other things. But what's left is, you know, Britain just sitting outside the European Union. I mean, the point, the, the, I mean, imagine it was Ireland. What would you think? You think at the moment as an Irish person, you've got the right to go everywhere in Europe that you want and, you know, work anywhere you want. The world is sort of open to you. It's, it's everything is, you know, all these sort of opportunities are, are there for you if you want to, if you want to do it. Not that Irish people actually tend to really go that much to continental European countries, you know, so in so, so, so much as they tend to go to the United States, Canada, Australia, and now the, the UK, <laughs> but you know, with whom we obviously have a reciprocal arrangement anyway. But if you're, if you're uh, British today, that's, that's all going to change now. You know, it's kind of like, it's just, what, what is it? What is the point of this? What are we, what exactly are we getting out of this? What are Boris Johnson, and, you know, a man who was sacked from the Times for making up quotes, you know, like not a, a guy who, I, I don't know, people, people evidently have more trust in this guy than, than I would, that I would place him. What's the, Nigel Farage, who's on TV saying, oh, it was all just uh, mistakes, that, that whole thing about that money going, you know, the Europe money all going to the NHS. Yeah, that was a mistake. Shouldn't have said that. Now, what are these guys going to do? What's, what are their, what's their big idea? They've taken the country back. What are they going to do with it? I just think it's... Absolutely crazy, but you know um, that's my perspective. Obviously, there's a lot of people who feel differently about it, and uh, you know I didn't see it coming. And obviously, I have no idea where they're coming from. Maybe someone should try to understand a little bit better. We'll talk to Simon Cooper about this. Obviously, Simon writes for the Financial Times, is based in Paris, and uh, I've spoken to us a few times in the show. He, I see, I see, he tweeted in 20 years, impoverished Britons will be smuggled into France in the back of lorries to pick strawberries. So I think we might have an idea where he's going to be coming from in this conversation. But uh, there is a football, there are a, few, a number of football games taking place in the next couple of days, Ken. Mm. And uh, 
Previous to this, uh, previous to Brexit, I guess the biggest European, biggest scandal that had hit Europe in a number of years was the Thierry Henry handball. Of course. So, uh, uh, that was probably the gravest danger to the yeah, EU before Brexit uh, that we've seen. And it seems to me that the French media are getting more obsessive about this, uh, about the, the, that incident than we are. Is that right? Well, I think that's because for the French media, um, when they hear the word, the French football media, when they hear the word Ireland, um, they rack their memory banks and what pops out only, oh, didn't we take them over that time with the Thierry Henry handball? Um, <laughs> you know, whereas with Ireland, that Thierry Henry handball is something we've had to live with for a long time. It's something that we, we, uh, got, we went through, you know, the five stages over it. Mm. Um, well, we watched I'm having that. a sixth stage, which is the stage where, where uh, you know, eventually your grievances are are addressed by the world governing body with a payment of five million. Was it Swiss francs, euros, uh, or dollars? I can't quite remember, but it was a five million payment of one of those significant currency units. And after that, it was a case of, well, you know, we're still not happy, but I suppose it is a good deal for the association. Um, Whereas in France, I suppose that wasn't really, uh, you know, they, they just forgot about the handball, not quite the next day, but like the next week and no one was really thinking about it anymore and they haven't probably thought about it all that much since uh, until uh, this draw suddenly pit, pits us against them and uh, everyone has to write their preview pieces and, and uh, it seems like the obvious thing to put in. So I'd say, you know, that's kind of, that's what's driving it. You know, I don't think anyone really... It's just it's it's like a it's like a mechanical process. I need a pre, I need to generate a preview piece. What will I? Oh, what about that handball? How do they feel about that? Are they out for revenge? Revenge is always a good theme. Um, I don't really think revenge is is a factor. I mean, who who's even involved? I mean, if you look at that, the the, the Thierry Henry, uh, the Ireland France playoff of two thousand nine has like a, a massive Wikipedia page. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's got this enormous. Um, Enormous Wikipedia page listing all the sort of the scandal and reactions and so on. But you know, it has the teams as well. I mean, you look through the Irish team, who's still in the Irish squad. The Shea Given, you know, won't play. John O'Shea probably won't play. Uh, Glenn Whelan probably won't play, I guess, after the other night. Robbie Keane, again, probably on the bench. And Aidan McGeady. Um, they're the five in the French squad. You know, you've got Hugo Lloris, he's, he's involved. Uh, at the other end of the field, Bakary Sanya, who who might be involved, uh, Patrice Evra, uh, Steve Mandanda, and Andre Pierre Gignac, um, and none of them particularly important, with the exception of Hugo Lloris, who didn't have anything to do with the incident in the first place. So, basically, I don't really think um, worrying about that match will be a big thing for the uh, French. You know, worrying about the karma of that match is a big thing for the French team. You know, these guys will consider themselves basically blameless. Uh, for what happened and uh, probably don't even remember the match. Uh, and as for the Irish team, I mean, Robbie Keane talked about it in the mix zone and he said it couldn't be further from his thoughts. How long ago is that now? Effing hell, uh, effing hell, move on, I saw, he, he said, apparently. Yeah, he, he did, yeah. So, so um, I, I, don't, I don't really think, you know, is, is Martin O'Neill going to gather his football players together and tell them, you know, seven years ago, these guys snatched the World Cup out of our hands with their hand. And now it's payback time. No, I, I, just, I don't think that would work. I think it would fall horribly flat. Uh, I think he's going to have to work a little bit harder <laughs> to, try and, to try and find an angle 
to really get his players up for this game because because that I just think is it. But the, you know that said, I, I don't. Uh, I think the you know the French media coverage will certainly create the impression that it's a bigger deal than it is. I think he does have to find something though, Ken, just to recharge the batteries of these guys. I, I know you can say, look, they're in the last sixteen of a major championships against the host nation. Uh, you know, in, in this in this huge tournament, but four days to prepare, four days to get over the high of getting through and to prepare for this game is nothing really. Uh, they they got the day had the day off yesterday, Thursday, which means they really have two days training. And the day the training the day before a game, I would imagine, isn't particularly uh, informative or intense. So it's kind of one proper day's training for. The match in their lives. This is going to be tough. I think it's okay. I think, it's, I, think so. I, I don't actually see that as being a problem, really. Even with France I mean, having an, an extra three days. Yeah, but you know, and, and that, obviously they've got France have got lots of advantages here. They've got home advantage. They've probably got a, a measure of referee advantage. They've got squad advantage. They've got better players advantage. They've got rest advantage. You know, you could sit here thinking all day about all the advantages that France have, but you know. It's it's still they've got to they've still got to actually win the game. I mean, the it's it's like Ireland have had three full days between their game between the two games, and that should be enough physically speaking to recover. Mentally speaking, I don't know. Do you need to recover, or is it, or is the experience of having played well uh, and won a game not a good thing to have in your head? It's sort of a good, you know, a sense of we we want to play again now. We want to do that again. Um, France, on the other hand, have been. Out of out of competition for quite a long time now. Um, maybe they've been working away hard and training, but I'd say that they've been long, slow days uh, between this between these games. I'd say when France think about their last game, it seems like an eternity ago. It certainly does to me. Um, so you know, there are, there's 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 good and bad points about that as well. Physically, everyone's rested. Maybe mentally, a little bit restless. Maybe a little bit, you know, is is rhythm also not a factor in these tournaments? Um, I think with three full days to recover, then, you know, you should be good. I mean, especially when you consider that several of the players who played were fresh anyway. You know, I mean, who's who's started all three games? Shane, Shane Long, uh, James McCarthy. McCarthy's come off in all three games. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's anyone who... I mean, Randolph, obviously, but, you know, and Shane, has Seamus Coleman played yeah. 90 minutes in every oh, game? Oh, I think so. Yeah, I Sorry? think so, yeah. I think so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I, there's not too many, is what I'm saying. You know, the, the two central vendors have only played 90 minutes in the tournament who played the last time. Um, you know, I, I don't think that physical fatigue should be a factor in, in this game. I really don't. Although, you know, obviously France have advantages. You can't do anything about that. You've just got to play the game anyway. I saw O'Neill talking about those championship players, those def- the centre halves. He said, if a player comes from a championship side, then the biggest thing you have to do is get inside their heads somehow for a little while and make them believe that they can belong on the big stage, at least for that game. Mm. What do you make of that? Well, I think he, I think he's. Uh... It's real. I mean, it's real. Martin O'Neill the... stuff, isn't it? Like that's what he's good at. That 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 is what he's good at. Getting players who aren't brilliant to believe they are brilliant. And that's what he's shown himself to be to be good at increasingly over his time as Ireland manager, I think, you know, he, I think he's shown he understands the squad, you know, reasonably well. Uh, I mean, think back to Trapattoni talking about how, oh, the new guy isn't going to do anything different. And I did think that, I didn't think for a while that Trapattoni's, you know, prediction was coming true, maybe up to about this time last year. But actually, when you look at it, it's, it's a radically different team now. And yet it's a team that largely could have played at Euro 2012. These players were already there. You know what I mean? A lot of them were really already there. Um... <clears throat> And, and Martin O'Neill has, ha, you know, without without massively increasing the playing pool, you know, throwing open the borders to all manner of Tom, Dick and Harry immigrants 
and, and lashing out passports willy-nilly in the manner feared by so many people in this world of ours. Uh, without really doing that, he's just managed to find a team among players who are already there or find a, a set of players that fit together a lot better than Trap could have done. I think that a lot of it has to do with his understanding of their mentality, a better appreciation of their actual qualities, greater familiarity with the players just on a simple level. And, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's done it pretty well. I mean, you know, Duffy, Duffy was excellent. Kel was excellent. I don't know exactly what Martin O'Neill said to those guys. Um, whatever it was, it worked against Italy, and hopefully it will uh, have this, you know, be the same against France. I'll tell you one thing we could do without Ken. Well, and that is any more Raul Nazare type refereeing figures mm. Show, showing up, denying us penalties, repeatedly denying us penalties. What oh, we just we do need the if there's a defining refereeing decision to be made, it would just be too cruel in so many ways for us to lose out to France on that basis. I'm concerned. Yeah, well, I'd say the referee, I suppose, will know about, about the history of the fixture. Um, but realistically, you've got a stadium which is mostly full of French fans shouting for everything. Uh, and you've got an Irish team who um, whose good performance in their last game was underpinned by you know, a good bit of physical play. I can see France getting a lot of free kicks in this game. <laughs> uh, if the fouls are in the penalty area, I can see France getting penalties. Yeah, will Ireland get a penalty? Uh, I'd be, I think we'll probably finish the competition without getting a penalty, actually. All right, Simon Cooper is in Paris where he has lived for a long number of years. Simon, we had initially planned to (laughs) talk to you about how the French were feeling about this Irish challenge, and we may get to that, but I think um, we've got to talk about Brexit. What's your reaction? Um, Shock, horror. I mean, it's as if the Brits took a large, sharp knife, stabbed themselves in the gut, and then jumped around celebrating. It's it's an act of great self-harm and stupidity. Uh, and is not altogether surprising. Uh, and uh, it's the idea that it would solve any of British problems has, I think, within two or three hours been proven false as people's pension funds collapse, as the pound collapses, as the economy heads for a recession, etc. It's just very sad, and it's sad for, for all, of, all of you as well, because I know that Ireland thinks, you know, probably rightly, that it will get some of the city of London. But I think that there's going to be a quite a broad recession caused by this, and, and you you will also be caught up in it. I'm afraid. You said it's not surprising. Um, when a lot of us went to bed last night, though, it did look as though well, certainly the pollsters had said it was that that Remain would would win it, uh, and the early uh, well, the, the the early calls were that that was going to be the case as well. But you said it's not. You're actually not surprised. No, I mean, on the day, I'm surprised. I mean, I woke up at two in the morning and I thought, I'll quickly have a look at my phone and it's going to be remain and then I can go back to sleep. And I looked at my phone, I jumped out of bed and I haven't been to sleep since. And so, yes, I mean, it went against what the betting markets more than the pulses were predicting. And I just stupidly trusted the betting markets. I thought they, they were good predictors, completely wrong in this case. At one point yesterday, the betting markets had uh, remain one to ten on. But in terms of, uh, it was a campaign force on immigration, we now know that immigration is so much more unpopular than we had even imagined. And that really this, I hate to say it to me, is a, a simply straightforward xenophobic vote. And if they think they're getting their country back, I think this morning they can see that they were horribly mistaken. You said that it is going to spark a, a recession. Can you ex- explain to us you know, a little bit less about this kind of thing than you do, Simon, uh, how, how that, the kind of mechanics of how you think that happens now? Well, Britain, I think, will go into recession because um, 
people don't want to keep their money in the country. They don't want to invest in the country, so they're pulling their money out because they're not. There's going to be years of uncertainty. You know what kind of trade deals will Britain negotiate? What kind of relationship with the EU? Uh, Britain will probably have to negotiate its own trade deals with China, with the US. So there's enormous uncertainty. Will the Irish and English, uh, Irish and French and German people living there be allowed to stay living and working there? So this is not the moment that anyone is going to open an office in London. And so uh, UK will go into recession, but I think the knock-on effect for Europe will come in the shape of uh, a lot of populist politicians are calling for referenda. There's a chance that Marine Le Pen will be elected French president next year, far-right politician. She's now adding the promise of a referenda or foregrounding it to her offer. Uh, French people would probably vote out. So the idea that all over Europe you might start getting referenda, or at least in a few countries, and that those countries would then leave the EU, and in the case of France and Italy, more, you know, kind of damagingly than the UK, they would also then leave the euro, and then the euro tanks. And, you know, I hardly need to remind Irish people who have all their pensions and savings, insofar as they have them in euros, that this is going to be uh, scary and bloody. If, uh, if that comes to pass. But anyway, I mean, the UK is by far Ireland's largest trading partner. So the UK going into recession in the short term is, is very bad news for you, even if some functions of the city of London get distributed to Dublin, which is possible. Simon, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, everyone's sort of stunned this morning, I think, certainly here. It sounds like you are as well. But the fact that this could happen, <laughs> this happens in the middle of the European Championships, this great festival. Okay, well, there, there have been issues, you know, around one or two of the games and one or two of the fixtures. But by and large, you see all these amazing stories happening, all these people from different European nations coming together. And this, this thing is thrown into the middle of it. Well, I mean, you say people coming together, and I, I, you know, I saw that, for example, at Ireland, Sweden, that you know, the Irish and the Swedes, very, the fans are very happy to be there. I'm not a big fan of your team or the Swedish team, but the fans, of course, are lovely, and um, most fans, you know, they're really happy to be in France, having a great time, the Romanians taking selfies on the stands, lovely. Everyone getting on. But uh, the Brits, actually the English fans, not the Brits, but the England fans, uh, when I was among them, and I've been to all three England games so far, I felt I was kind of in the presence of the dark id of the Brexit campaign with its dislike and suspicion of Europeans, its nasty chants about French people, its taunting of people of Arab origin in Marseille. So if you spend, as I have, you know, uh, quite a lot of hours in the company of England fans, um, you, you see where the Brexit urge comes from. I don't know if you're in the humour to talk about football at all, Simon, um, uh, and whether uh, whether anyone's talking about it right now, but w- w- would you be giving Ireland any sort of chance against this French team this year? I mean, sure, you know, in a football match, the underdog has... Football is a sport that's kind to the underdog. You know, rugby is very much about territorial gains, so the stronger team makes territorial gains and wins. Football, as you know, you know, you can get a lucky break and score. I mean, I'm very unimpressed with the quality of the Ireland team what I've seen. I like Wes Houlihan, although he's getting old. I mean, he's, he's a skillful player. But, um, you know, when I think of great Irish teams of the late 80s and early 90s, this is not it. So, yeah, I mean, you're, you're massive underdogs, but I, of course you could nick it. All right, listen, Simon Cooper, uh, great to talk to you. Thanks so much for, for chatting. Thank you. Into the 
personal words really I'm, I'm over the moon emotional it's, it's it's unbelievable it's Stuttgart it's New Jersey they're all rolled into one another big big scalp when it was needed most Leon here we come Ah, yes, a suitably epic audio montage by Mark Horgan there for an epic Irish sporting moment. That montage was debuted yesterday. A lot of people admitted to shedding a tear or two when they heard it for the first time. I love what I love. I love it. I love you kind of, the way you think it's fading out, and then that mental. I think it's B in sports, the commentary mm. at the end. That kind of, yeah, it is, yeah. That comes in at the end, just to, just in case you were thinking about crying. And yeah, and then, <laughs> and, you know, just tips you over the edge a little bit there. So great stuff there. We needed that, to be honest. We needed that after the chat with Simon Cooper, Murph, because yeah. uh, worldwide recession, pension funds down the drain, everybody. He didn't, he didn't paint the, the most optimistic picture. EU referenda around Europe. All of which he <laughs> thinks will vote oh, to leave the EU. Um mm. Yeah, and he had a go with the Irish team, which I. We were, uh, to be honest, we were so stunned by what he had said about Brexit that we didn't even get a chance to challenge his views of our not very good football team uh, to his mind. But listen, you know, there's there, it's it's a uh, ragtag of emotions that Simon is going through at the moment. He's only slept an hour uh, in the last thirty six hours, so I mean, you know, I'm prepared to give him this. To be honest, this is happening to us a lot, Ken. We uh, the people we've been contacting today. Are a lot of them have barely slept because of uh, because of Brexit, and I I salute Simon for chatting to us. Although maybe we should call him back, and maybe I should confront him on the Irish team. What do you think? I think better leave him in peace. Pe- better I don't leave- know if he's in the mood to talk about it. <laughs> no, it, it sounds like he's even he was kind of thinking, why are you bothering asking me this question about your football? You've got me <laughs> on to utter, talk about utter, utter football. Bullshit. You've got me on to talk complete bullshit when you know the whole world is appearing to fall apart. Well, another man who has been to see Ireland during this tournament is Jonathan Wilson. Jonathan, the um, uh, well, the rather old school approach we adopted against Italy, I think Ken described it as being like uh, you're an English team back in maybe the early 80s against a European side who don't like it up and whose keeper doesn't like being bombarded with crosses. It did for Italy, but will that be enough against France, do you think, that sort of approach? Actually, it'll be enough, but I think it's probably the way they have to go. I mean, watching that Italy game, I, I, was, in the, um, I was in the start of France, I've been at the... Uh, that Iceland-Austria game. I think it's always quite interesting watching a game in the press room with sort of journalists and many different nationalities there. And so as the game went on, you know, at the start, everyone was sort of thinking, oh, yeah, this is going to be quite comfortable for Italy. And then after the 10, 15 minutes, there was definitely a, a change in mood of, hang on, this is not what we were expecting. And, and by the end, you could sort of say, you know, when, um, um, when Hulan missed that chance, there was sort of, you could tell that he was actually gripped by the game, which, you know, um, I suppose maybe they finished their work by there, but it certainly hadn't been the case at the beginning. There was a, a real sense of this, this is a better Ireland than we were expecting. And I mean, maybe Italy weren't, weren't fully there, but still, I, th- I think there was enough there from Ireland to suggest they, they can trouble sides. And I think that, you know, you, you always recast previous performances uh, as the tournament goes on. And mm-hmm. I think maybe that makes that first half against Sweden look all the better, uh, and, and thus the second half all the worse. Because, uh, you know, Sweden pretty much held Italy. It was only that last 10 minutes when Italy really came into it. And I think that um, the more sort of four four two shape, uh, I think that 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 possibly 
help both both at the back and going forward. I mean, everyone is, is obviously delighted with beating Italy, and I think it is great. I mean, it's a great achievement by the Irish team to have done that. Um, we do, I suppose, have to qualify it. You know, not that we particularly feel like it, but the fact is, it was a reserve Italian team, uh, and they didn't have to win the game. And even losing the game was really of no consequence to them, apart from embarrassment. So that does affect a little bit the sort of psychological situation of the game, which is quite different from the one that awaits Ireland in Lyon, where they play against the host nation. The question is um, whether France are, in your opinion, a team that's going to respond well to the huge pressure that they're under to perform, or whether there are cracks there that might uh, might actually you know become apparent uh, under that pressure. Well, I think there are cracks, and I don't think they've handled the pressure particularly well as yet. Uh, and I think there's there's a strange sense that you're probably better off playing France earlier in the tournament. That I think as it goes on, the momentum will build behind them. But I think there's still a lot of doubts about that side. The fact they're still fiddling about, are they going to play 4-2-3-1? Is it going to be a 4-3-3? There's all this dispute between Pogba and Lakeep, uh, and that seemed to inspire Pogba in the in the third group game. Um, when we well, had four shots in 16 minutes, was it the start of the game? But certainly four shots very early in the game. Um, but then, if if you have a player who's overly fired up, what does that do to the to the uh, team shape and the team structure? And I think if you look, look back even to that first game, Romania did have chances—a really sort of tentative, unadventurous, not particularly good Romania side who struggled for goals in the qualifiers. They did still create chances. So I, I think any side will look at. I mean, France obviously are favourites, and that goes without saying. But I don't think we're invulnerable. And I do think the pressure is is there. And if Ireland can get through the first half hour, maybe the first hour, then, then, then that's only going to start to, to weigh heavier. Now, so far, fans have responded late in games with, with goals. But that's not to say they always will. And you can't, you know, you can't rely on Pike to do something magical in injury time. Yeah. What about Pogba? I mean, how, how impressed are you with him? He's the, he's the big star in this team. Although, you know, Pied is the one maybe who's, who's actually produced the, the best moments for France so far, but Pogba, I think, is kind of towering a little bit above the others in his team. Um, is he a player who, who impresses you? I mean, he he seems to me to be you know, a very good individual player, and I'm not sure how well he fits into that team. Yeah, I, mean, I think there are doubts. I, I, I can't remember if you were having this conversation with, but um, so I might be repeating your own argument back to you here, <laughs> but um, certainly somebody recently said he's a bit like the French Stephen Gerrard, and I can certainly see yeah, that. that was me, yeah. Okay. <laughs> At least you've attributed the quote, Jonathan. That's all good. <laughs> but but you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, yeah, he, he's clearly a, an extremely good player. But there's, there's obviously issues with how he uh, adapts his own game to the games of others. Now, uh, I think Matuidi not being there against Switzerland, he, see, he, you know, he looked more comfortable. He wasn't sort of covering the same ground. But are they really going to leave Matuidi out for knockout games? I, I don't know. I, mean, I suppose if you can leave Pogba out for the for the second group game, maybe you can leave Matuidi out. Um, but I, I think there's there's major problems about the balance of that French midfield, and, and Pogba is part of that. Uh, I mean, you, know, you you always get a far better grasp of the player when you when you see him uh, you know live at the stadium. And I sort of had a bit of that sense with Pogba in the Champions League final in 2015 that he kept on doing good things, but. He never really seemed part of that Juve side, and that Juve side, I'd say, was is far better drilled and far more tactically astute than than this French side is. I mean, the, the nature of clubs and national football means that's the case. But also, I think Conte is is a much smarter tactician than the vast majority of um, of coaches in, in the world. 
Um, what about Olivier Giroud, who I think is probably going to play for France because the indications seem to be that France are going to revert to the team that played against Romania in the opening game of the tournament, um, which would be Giroud starting at centre-forward. Uh, now, Ireland have got... I mean, it's, it's, we, don't, we don't know who the Irish central defenders are going to be, but the ones who played well against Italy were the, you know, a championship pair of uh, Richard Kyo and Shane Duffy. Um, I wonder how. I wonder if these are the kind of players that, that you think Giroud might be actually quite good against. I mean, the one thing I can say about Giroud is that despite his, his kind of propensity for missing chances uh, and, and, and putting on that face of anguish that everyone is so familiar with, his movement is pretty good. And I wonder if he might just have a little bit too much for uh, players who aren't used to, to facing strikers on that level. Yeah, I mean, I think that is a danger. The the other way of looking at it is that I think Giroud, for all that he sort of uh, markets himself as a big, tough centre-forward, I'm, I'm not sure he really likes a battle. I mean, I remember particularly a game against Swansea last season when Ashley Williams was all over him, and Giroud, after about 10 minutes, gave up and was just sort of protesting to referee at everything. So if he, I think he is a player who it's possible to physically intimidate. Uh, so I, I think a lot depends how he starts. If, if his... If his movement gets him space early on and it, you know he, he does something good, whether that's scoring or, or setting up a chance or just having a shot that goes close, then maybe his confidence will carry him through. But I think he is a player you can physically and psychologically intimidate, and I guess that's what Ireland got to do. Jonathan, we were chatting to Simon Cooper there uh, a little while ago about the the Brexit vote, and we're still reeling from the conversation, to be honest with you. you uh, I, be, I believe Sunderland were among the, among the areas to vote leave. Yeah, uh, which I think is madness. Um, I think, I think on the one hand, it's, a, it's an expression of, of disgust and outrage at, at um, how things have gone the last 20 years. It's almost, things are rubbish now, let's chuck the dice, see what happens, it can't be any worse. And so I think, you know, um, Westminster has to take responsibility for that. But at the same time, I think it's madness that the major employer in Sunderland is Nissan. Why would Nissan keep that plant there if they can get better access to Europe by moving to, I don't know, Poland or Germany or, or wherever? So I think it's a really, and Nissan were telling people to, to vote Remain. Um, they, I mean, Nissan have threatened in the past to pack up and leave. Um, they, I think they are prepared to do it. In the, in the past, they've always got their own way. They haven't here. And I think that's, that's hugely worrying in terms of jobs in the Northeast. I think it's, uh, I mean, you know, I, I came back to London yesterday for, for some meetings, not for the vote. I, I, I've got a proxy to vote. I'll be going back to Paris tonight. But yeah, I barely slept last night, firstly watching the telly and then just sort of feeling so you know, devastated that, Britain's done something quite so stupid and quite so. Um, I mean, yeah, it's it's both stupid and I think it just it's just a morally the wrong thing to do. Why? I mean, why do you say it's 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 there's something kind of also. I mean, it's it's it, the European Championships is it's just a minor detail, but it is right in the middle of this big kind of uh, European event, which a lot of the you know a lot of the sort of national attention that hadn't been on this poll had had been on this Euros, and in the middle of all that, I mean. You've used words like stupid and, you know, madness and morally wrong. I mean, why do you feel so strongly that way? Well, I think, that, you know, enormous economic arguments is why I say it's, it's stupid. I think the moral issue, and maybe this wouldn't have been the case if the campaign had been fought on um, strict political and economic grounds. If there really had been a campaign based on, look, these are the rights that we've seen as the EU, these are the rights you want to get back. But the, the re, there's been a really unpleasant, I was going to say undertone, there hasn't been an undertone, it's just been the campaign, it's been really unpleasant, there's been anti-immigration, anti-racism, or sorry, racist, anti-immigrant, um, 
and and I think we've seen over the European Championship the the rise of the right. I think the the, the connection between the, the right and, and and hooliganism and and uh, in some cases that's organised. In many cases, it, it's sort of when people have had a few drinks, they sort of become more nationalistic, and that leads to flashpoints. Uh, and I, I think that's the sort of the, the thin end of the wedge. I think there's a really ugly nationalism sweeping across Europe, and this was a chance for the UK to say, you know, we don't want a part of that. We're we're inclusive. We 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 want to work together. Um, and they've rejected that, and I think the consequences are going to be devastating. I wonder what the very short-term consequences are going to be in terms of uh, what the English fans are going to be saying at the at the next couple of matches. They probably probably got two more matches in this tournament anyway. And <laughs> given, given that there were yeah there were a few uh, chance of you know fuck off Europe, we're all voting out before it happened. I wonder. Um, I wonder, are we going to see a bit more of that kind of thing uh, over the next couple of uh, couple of weeks? I'm sure we are. Um, maybe not so much against Iceland. I don't think anybody uh, really sort of thinks of Iceland as this sort of manipulative um, EU power kind of crushing our rights. But certainly against France in the quarter final, if that's what it ends up being, um, I, I think yeah, I'm sure that uh, the behaviour of England fans will be conditioned through that that prism. All right, listen, Jonathan Wilson, uh, great to talk to you and enjoy the. Knockout stages, thank you. Cheers, thanks. I'll give you the unvarnished account of what happened, will I? There was a train at like one o'clock back to Paris. Arrived at the station in Saint-Étienne before that train was due to go to find utter bedlam. The seat numbers weren't being respected. It was with an air of foreboding. I went to find Place 41 and as I expected, it already contained a tired looking England fan, Geordie man, probably in his late twenties. He knew why I had come, and I looked at him sternly and waggled my ticket and said, Sorry mate, it's actually my seat. And he said, Sorry mate, we've actually just been told to sit anywhere the seat numbers don't count. Basically tough shit. I've sulked and stomped around a little bit and complained and sent angry text messages to people who didn't care. Then I thought, there's no point in just sitting here. Who knows what might happen? Possession was now 100% of the law. You have to go and find someone else whose seat you can take. I started walking along the train, and in the very end carriage, there was a couple of empty seats. Ah. I thought, that's interesting. I went on to the first empty seat I saw, tried to sit down. The England fans there said, sorry, mate, our friend's there. So I said, okay, moved up, went to the next empty seat, sat down, guy next to it, no complaints. Well, the situation seems to have changed. I'm now one of the haves rather than the have-nots. A few minutes later, as I suspected it might, previous other seat came along, and said, sorry mate, that's my seat. And I said, sorry mate, my seat is actually Watcher 12, class 41, but there's someone sitting in it, so I just came and sat in this seat, which which is unoccupied. There's a lot of us in the same boat. And he said, but that's ridiculous. I've just gone to the canteen and I got this orangina. And I said, I know, I'm really sorry. It's really unfair. The system is a total shambles. He walked away saying the word tosser. I felt bad for the guy. Maybe he didn't realize that he was in the jungle. He still thought he was on the train, but this was actually a jungle. And I thought to myself, well, you know, I can't really complain about that characterization of my behavior at this moment. However, I do have a seat, and I don't think anyone saw. Ah, oh, beautiful. Did you enjoy that, Ken? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, Ken's metamorphosis into Larry David is it's complete. complete. Uh, well, the, the Raphael Honigstein kicker. They left out the Raphael left out. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you you did spend about 15 minutes of the podcast on... Uh, <laughs> I was, I was <laughs> waiting to hear, right? hear Raphael Honigstein going on. In ways, that was the most 
curb your enthusiasm thing to happen. Yeah, you know, he had eyes on the he whole never, thing. Yeah, he never gets away without a thing, Larry David. So you would. Yeah, anyway. And of course, Honigstein had appeared earlier in Ken's ramblings about one of the games when he, when Raphael managed to get Ken a seat. Mm. In, in the so that's another Kirby enthusiasm type thing where there's an earlier character who sort of comes back later on in a, in a real kicker. Oh, great news, by the way, Ken. What? Kirby enthusiasm, new series. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, on the way. Yeah, it, was, it was announced there uh, just last week. I'm not sure when yeah, it's coming out, but uh, yeah, it's big. So uh, that's all the Kirby enthusiasm news for today. Uh, let's reflect on Jonathan Wilson, Ken, stealing your line about Pogba being like Stephen Gerrard. Why do you think, why did you make that comparison? Um, why do I make uh, Stevie G? Yeah, what why do you think, Pogba, what's, what's like, what, what, what are the similarities there? And, and are they necessarily a bad thing? I mean, I get the sense that, that, this, that you're encouraged by him being like Stephen Gerrard. Um, spectacular athletic players with a lot of technical ability who create spectacular moments, um, can score goals from long range, enjoy scoring goals from long range, enjoy taking shots from long range, um, and don't pay too much attention to the teammates' uh, shoulders slumping as as they as once again they've showed for a pass and not been passed to. Uh, which is not to say Paul, Paul Pogba never passes to anyone. He often sets up goals brilliantly with ridiculous curling passes. You know, he's, he can smack a beautiful uh, swerving ball with pretty much any part of his foot. Um, you know, he's, he's an amazing footballer, but uh, I don't think he links up. Like, I mean, the opposite of, of Pogba would be someone like Kroos, um, a player who stitches his entire team together. You know, he's just thinking about the team all the time, which is not to say, the, I mean, Kroos is an opposite. I mean, he's also got extreme technical ability, but he's not a showy player in any way. He just does a lot of simple things, lots and lots and lots and lots of times in a game. You know, he's happy for other players to score the goals or, you know, whatever. He, that's not the game that he's playing. Whereas Pogba is, you know, that's, that's, why, that's why he reminds me of Jared, which is not to say, I mean, if you have a player like that, great. But it can often be um, difficult to work out exactly how to integrate him with the other players in the team. They also have Payet, who uh, about mm. whom there are less doubts this tournament, and even Griezmann. I know he was left out of it, it was the second game, but I'm starting to get a little bit worried about all these amazing players they have, particularly when there's one so in form as Payet seems to be. Yeah, um, <clears throat> Payet's just been inspired so far. Um, I mean, can he keep it up is the question, because if he was to do that, then what? He, then he's talking about like uh, a Michel Patini-like uh, contribution <laughs> yeah. to France winning the European Championships. That's the level of play that he's hit so far, whether he can sustain it. Our players usually do, though, don't they? When I'm thinking the most similar... A uh, comparison I can make maybe to the World Cup was... James Rodriguez. James Rodriguez, exactly. A player who has done not a huge amount since. Okay, was 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 touted beforehand, but nobody expected him to be that good. Uh, Toto Scalacci, to go back a little bit further, Ken. A uh, uh, player who, you know, again, s- similar. Just sometimes if you're having an impact on that tournament, it comes back to maybe what you said earlier about games being quite close together. It's almost hard to lose form because you're you're in it and then you're playing the next game and you're you're... Uh, your confidence is surely going to carry you through there. Yeah, um, well, I think he, I think he's got a lot of confidence. He's, he's got total confidence in his own ability. A player who didn't wouldn't hit the kind of shots that he hits. Um, yeah, he's 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 great. I mean, they've got great players all throughout the team. They really they've got a really really powerful squad. Um, and I think if they play to their potential, they will beat us. Um, 
But the question but, is whether whether we can stop them from doing that. Yes, can. I'm glad there was a but there, is a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's it's, there's no pressure in Ireland. It's all, it's another free shot. You know, it's, it's similar to the Italy game in a sense, except we don't actually have to win. We just have to not lose. Um, you know. Uh, Let's go out with the attitude that we have to win. I think we're better when we go out with that attitude because look, if we, if we go and get tonked three 0 okay, that would be kind of kind of annoying. But mm. is, is it necessarily that much different to getting tonked? Get, see, getting tonked three 0 in the way we did against against Belgium would be annoying because it just felt that there was a flatness to the performance. But if yeah. we go, I'm not talking about all out attack here, but just with a similar approach to the Italy game, with a feeling that we have to win this game rather than letting it go to extra time or penalties or anything, I think that is genuinely our best chance of getting something done here. Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess also you don't want to be... I mean, I, I thought our performance against Italy was controlled. You know, I, I thought that yeah. we didn't really... It wasn't as though we were we went all out to win that game from the start. I mean, we <clears throat> it was a very intense kind of performance, but it was it was disciplined. It was sort of disciplined intensity. Um, it was only sort of late in the game when the substitution started to happen that the shape of the team started to change and become more attacking. You know, I mean, when you're, when you're taking off uh, James McCarthy and putting on... Wes Hulan, that's you know, there's clearly a very attacking intent to that substitution. You're talking about a different style, but that was because we're coming into the last 15 minutes of the game, and a goal now is going to win the game. Whereas if you you know attack in the first 30 minutes and score, they've got a lot of time. They've got a lot of time to come back. I mean, the best time for Ireland to score in an, in a nil nil game is you know the last minute. <laughs> the later the first goal can come, the better from our point of view. Um, an early goal sometimes is, uh, you know, it's it's about staying in the game, really, and I'm sure that will be that will be our our approach. Um, stay stay in the game, and the longer it goes on, the more difficult it becomes for France. I think the longer it goes on without them taking the lead, you know, because you know players are beginning to lose confidence, maybe lose confidence in each other. The manager is starting to make substitutions. Uh, everyone's wondering what's going wrong. Whereas for Ireland, a, a game which is still scoreless after 70, 75 minutes, everything's going right. You know what I mean? It's it's a case of we're playing well here. This is going this is going our way. Um, so the longer it goes on, I think the more it favors Ireland. So uh, I would be surprised if 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 Ireland took a really um, aggressive approach, ag- aggressive in terms of in football sense from from early on in the game. I think it will be a little bit uh, disciplined intensity. That's what we've that's what we're looking for. Alan. I like that phrase. We'll stick with that. Owen's poems with Owen McDevitt featuring the poetry of Owen McDevitt. And what an absolute load of nonsense that is. Nonsense. Lyrical gangsta Owen McDevitt here. There's a lot of nerds out there, Murph. A lot of nerd nonsense has been sent in. You seemed a little overwhelmed yesterday. <laughs> I've created a monster, and I realized I didn't. I didn't. I, at one point, I thought I wouldn't have enough time in the day to read through all these. How many are we actually talking here? Uh, well, uh, all McDevitt bluster aside, we're talking at least seventy poems. Ah, uh, no, 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 probably about probably about forty odd. Patrick oh Conway, God. Trevor Brown, Ono Griefe. Uh, Cullen Walsh, Keith Mann, David Sheehan, Owen Quinn, Fergal Coleman, John Walsh, Joe Turdy, John McCarthy. Mark Townsend, Peter McCarthy, Kieran Hughes, H-E-U-Z-E. H-E-U. Yeah, that's fine, yeah. Uh, we had Tomas Irish, <laughs> Aidan Barry, Patrick Callanan, Peter White, James Martin. They're coming from all over the place. James Martin from East Lothian uh, sent one in. Anna Forsyth sent one from Vancouver. Aidan Gannon, A Fairy Tale of New York. He was watching on a bar stool in New York. Yeah, uh, close, Aidan, close. If I was to give a third place, you'd probably be getting it. But unfortunately, you can only give a runner-up and winner. So Joe Lenehan, 
No, but sorry, Joe, you also don't get it. It's uh, got to cut you as well. His mind was already on the France game. I asked specifically for Ireland-Italy previews. A piss you off, got... Joe. <laughs> okay, get out of that, Joe. Uh, so let's get to our runner-up. You know the man, Murphy. You know this person. Do I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's a friend of the show. Uh, I shouldn't say that because people think then, but you don't get a prize to run up anyway, everybody, so don't worry about it. It's Kieran Quinn, former Sligo footballer, professional musician who went to great lengths by including an audio file of him reading his impressive. poem. Apparently not trusting me to do it justice. What glee, what bliss, what utter joy was etched on the faces of Martin and Roy. We stormed Lille like the Greeks did Troy. A night we will forever enjoy. Wes's miss was only a decoy, a ruse, a scheme, a cunning ploy, before putting the ball on the head of our boy, Robbie Brady, the pride of Val Doyle. <laughs> the GAA have decided not to annoy people from Kulak and Athboy. By moving the match, it could have destroyed Sunday for Mick Deegan and Colm Coyle. <laughs> So on to Lyon goes the convoy. The Green Army will arrange to redeploy. France may have Pogba, Kante and Caboy, but we know that we are the real McCoy. <laughs> there you go, Kieran. That remember pretty good. That's, that's pretty good. Baldoyle, Colm Coy. I just, I like it. I it's, a, it's cheating. I'm sorry, I have up. to cheat sometimes, yeah. He said, you know, he sent it to me in a text message. He, I think he was getting uh, scared that you hadn't seen it. So he sent me the audio file and everything in the text. Oh, look, it's the best one. It's just we can't be accused of impropriety, Murph, by giving a T-shirt to somebody who... So he's the real winner. So today's today's fake winner, well, real winner, but uh, by default of Owen's Poems Euro 2016 is uh, Brian Moriarty, who gets himself a second captain's T-shirt, maybe darts. Do we have any darts lying around the office? I see some there. Yeah, we do have some darts. I'm sure we can send you right. Hi, lads, says Brian Moriarty. Four stanzas, four lines per stanza. Questionable scansion. Enjoy. Uh, you're looking at me quizzically, Murph. Scansion is the process of marking the stresses in a poem and working out the meter from the distribution of stresses. Okay. Ireland won Italy nil. As the sun sank, the Stad Pierre Moroy was cool, and in Irish ears rang the words of that tool. M. Tardelli, you claimed the Irish players a fool, and we wondered tonight would fate be kind or cruel. But the players launch into the night's crucial duel as a fresh shuffle team primed and ready to gruel. From the very first minute, like a chorus in school, they proclaimed as one man, we'll get out of this pool. The Irish energy was a mega kilojoule. The Italian defence, simply pure mule. So a denied penalty just seemed beyond cruel. And we sat as a nation on the edge of our stool. Surely, we thought, they've run low on fuel. Just look, we all thought, at their dribbling turned drool. It's too late, we thought, and then saw Wes Hool. A hand crossed it to Brady, <laughs> and then came the goo. <laughs> he, he, yeah, he crossed. Come on, come on. He, he managed to find a place for Ken's ghouls in well, Owen's poems. Yeah. Ken, you normally have an issue with my winners and runners up. Any problem there? Yeah, I thought the first one was better. <laughs> yeah, but we've yeah, been well, through thought, this before. Yeah, in fairness, we, have, we, we couldn't put it any, any more clearly. Yeah. Kieran Quinn is the actual winner. Uh, but, you know, for propriety's sake. Ken, pick us your team. Are we making any changes? Stephen Ward is an injury doubt. John Walters, ugh, they talked about John Walters yesterday at the press conference. I, I wasn't convinced that O'Neill's mm. convinced he's going to be back, but, you know, it's worth throwing in for the sake of a possible news angle, I guess, from the journalists. Would you be going with as close to the same team as you can? Yeah, <laughs> I think, yeah, let's, let's embrace who we are. Let's take our country back. <laughs> um, you know, uh, let's... Uh, you know, why, 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 why do we worry about what these snobbish elites in Europe think? Um, 
uh, of our of the way that we play the football on these these offshore islands, as I suppose we can call them. Uh, these offshore islands, which by the way seem to be pretty good at football uh, on the European level, uh, with the Republic of Ireland, Northern Ireland, Wales, England, and Iceland, all in the last sixteen. We should actually uh, we should uh, campaign for a change of name for this tournament. It's like Europe and the islands of Europe. Europe and offshore islands. Yeah, uh, 2016. 2020. Yeah. Um, the rocky, windswept outcrops uh, off the coast. That's where the real football is being played in Europe these days. And uh, and hopefully we can uh, give the locals in Lyon, culinary capital of France. Could you imagine anything more snobby and sophisticated than that? Uh, hopefully we can uh, give them something to stare at in horror uh, on Sunday. Yeah. And um, and knock them out of their own European Championship in, in what would be a, really a disaster for the tournament, <laughs> uh, but a wonderful night for Irish football. I didn't realise that it's the culinary captain of France. Can I'm glad to hear it myself and Murphy are on the way over to meet you there and eat some amazing French food. So that sounds, oh, like, sounds yeah, good. Yeah. Maybe we can maybe we can do brunch or lunch. No, oh, get the mules in, Ken. The mules. What are they? Mussels. Yeah. I don't like mussels. Do you know? No. I'm I partial a, to a move. I have an issue with muscles. I'm not. Uh, oh, it may, may be it may be psychological, but I've I've definitely got a, an aversion to them. Uh, Murph, give us the other games, by the way. Oh yeah, while we're here, F- fail to mention that there are five other second round matches taking place on Saturday and Sunday, and then two more on Monday. Uh, Switzerland, Poland, two o'clock. Yep. Wales, Northern Ireland at five Oof. Saturday, and Croatia, Portugal. Oh, I'm uh, looking forward at to eight that. o'clock. That's a good day. Yeah, football. I like that. I'm looking forward to that. Sunday, France, Republic of Ireland, two o'clock. Yeah. Germany, Slovakia at five. And Hungary, Belgium at eight. And then the last two then are Italy, Spain on Monday and uh, at five. And England, Iceland at eight o'clock. This is why we love football tournaments. There are a lot of very good games on. And we'll be back on Monday morning to preview that england Iceland game to find out exactly who the Republic of Ireland will be facing in the quarterfinals yeah, well, of we'll Euro 2016. Turn our gaze to the quarterfinals. You might as well, Murph, I demand that you predict Ireland win this game. Uh, yeah, Ireland... Uh, nil all after full time one all at the end of extra time mm-hmm. oh there'll be drama on, and then we win on penalties I'm going to go for a one nil defeat because any time I go for us to do anything positive at these okay majors. good but I, I, I yes yeah, so I'm going for a first psychology nudge Ken. nudge oh, wink wink, yeah, wink. One, no, I don't really believe it yeah. I'll say 3-1 uh, friends okay, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I like <laughs> good to man hear. Ken yeah that's, that's what we needed you to say thanks Ken see you in Lille uh, Leon Leon I keep saying Leo I texted that to you as well I texted that to somebody anyway so yeah no let's I, I think I'm booked on the right flight Should I anyway. tell you about my Lance Leal thing do it uh, very quickly um, go for it I was meant to do that France-Switzerland game um, but when they both qualified I decided that the travelling um, and whatnot meant it wasn't really worth it um, so I cancelled my train tickets uh, and hotel booking in Lance and it was only when watching the game uh, actually that night and the game you know it was on I could see on the TV that the game was actually taking place in Lille um, <laughs> I'm not quite sure how I managed to do that uh, I thought that's how I managed to get a, a room in that hotel right by the stadium so easily I did think that was a little bit weird but I suppose I just thought I, was, I got a bit lucky um, so fortunately I, I didn't uh, end up uh, turning up in the wrong city yeah. uh, for a France game although I was uh, all set to do so uh, until I decided not to go at all. Leon. 
Leon. Leon. I'm just putting it in my head now. I'm tapping my <laughs> sort of uh, cranium here just to make sure that's in there. Okay, better go. Come on. We've got a weekend to enjoy. We've got an Ireland game to look forward to. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again. Thanks, Murph. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next Monday. Come on. It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home.